Welcome to the Numa Church Podcast. For more information on all things Numa, please contact us on our website, numa.church. Now get ready for another inspirational message. And we're going to open with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. We're going to read together from verses 5 to 13. Matthew chapter 6, 5 to 13, and it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I was reading a story earlier this week about a well-known teacher, theologian, Bible college lecturer. I'm not talking about Dr. Michael Gretschko, although I could talk about him all day because he's a boss, isn't he? Numa College launching this week. Woohoo! was reading about him and he was going through a difficult season, not Dr. Mike, this other guy, he was going through a difficult season in his life where he was pastoring a church in New York post 9-11. There was an endemic of depression and whilst he was pastoring a church through this, he also found out in his personal wife life that his wife had Crohn's disease. Then he too, within a number of weeks, was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And during this challenging time in his life, it was his wife, also known as the Holy Spirit, amen, who approached him and said, you know, I think it's time that we started to incorporate something in our personal lives that we've previously lacked the self-discipline to maintain. But she put it like this. Imagine that you had been diagnosed with a lethal condition. The doctor told you you had to take one pill every single day. If you didn't take that pill, you would die. Who here in this room would forget to take that pill daily? There is nobody in this room who would be forgetting to take that pill. Here's what she said. Well, if we don't pray together, we're not going to make it because of all we are facing. We have to pray. And so this couple went on the journey of learning how to pray as though their lives depended on it because guess what? They did. How many of you, like me, have noticed that we live in a culture that prides itself on solving its own problems? And this is why so often it takes a crisis like the one I've just described even for a pastor to get a prayer life. We live in a society that has actually created gadgets and solutions for every problem or inconvenience we face. And so just for fun this week, I spent a little bit of time with Dr. Google. 
And I looked up, what are some of the best inventions of the last 12 months? Now, warning, before I show you, you are going to want every single one of these things that are about to come up on the screen. And I may not have already ordered them, sorry, Jai, but check them out on the screen behind me. Here's some great inventions from the last 12 months. Now, here we've got our Pastor Luke from East Campus with Summer in his scooter slash stroller. This is for the father who's always on the go. Can't you just see him in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne right there? Isn't that a brilliant invention? What could possibly go wrong? Or here, this is Pastor Simone's hand cutting onions in her house. That is not a head lice comb, although you could use that as well. You pop it in your onion, you cut straight. It's genius. This here is Pastor Don from South Campus. Woo-hoo. Now, this one actually is a legit invention. How cool is it? Nobody ever goes anywhere in Melbourne without an umbrella, but how do you text, hold your umbrella and carry your coffee? Well, there is the solution. It's the umbrella cup holder. And of course, who's got time to wake up four times in the middle of the night, go to the toilet and bang your toe on the end of the bed every single time? Not anymore, because there's LED slippers. Woo-woo. Yeah, so you can get all of those on eBay. It's not that expensive. I've just ordered them all. (laughs) The culture of the world is that I am self-sufficient. I don't need anybody else. And if there is something I don't have, then I can find a way to get it. But here at Numa Church, we know that this series is all about the fact that we don't live according to the world's culture, do we? We live according to kingdom culture. And Jesus was the one who the Bible says actually brought the kingdom to earth. And he lived a life that modelled for us a powerful prayer life, a prayer life that fueled his ministry power. You see, Jesus healed people with prayers. Jesus cast out demons with prayer. Jesus was often and regularly praying with fervent cries and tears. Sometimes Jesus prayed all night long. The Holy Spirit actually came on Jesus as he was praying. He was transfigured with divine glory as he prayed. When he faced his greatest crises, like the Garden of Gethsemane, what did Jesus do? He prayed. The night before he was killed, what was Jesus doing? He was praying for the church and for his disciples. And finally, our Jesus, he died praying. Jesus' model life and his teaching made it clear that all Christians are invited into a lifestyle of faithful, devoted, fervent prayer that fuels the same kind of power in our lives that Jesus carried when he walked the earth. So with that in mind, I want us to go back to our passage together. Just a little bit of context here for Matthew 6. This is um, part of the discourse known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been being followed around by crowds and as he often did, he headed up on a mountainside to kind of ditch everybody and have a little bit of time to himself. Problem is there was 12 guys who tagged along right behind him. Now, I think if I was the disciples, I might have kind of ghosted Jesus everywhere as well just to find out what he did do in his prayer time because they could see the power it produced. So the disciples followed him up the mountain. Jesus sits down, which is the position a rabbi took when he was going to teach. He sits, his disciples sit with him, and he begins to teach them all about kingdom life and kingdom culture. 
Matthew chapter 6 is where Jesus teaches them about how to pray. Now, it's important that we understand that in the Jewish culture of the time, regular prayer was normal. They would pray three times a day, morning, afternoon, and night. But what had started to happen was that the Jews started to judge one another by how public their prayer life was. At the three times of day, whatever they were doing, they would stop and they would pray, some discreetly. But the issue that Jesus was dealing with here was that many of them had started to stand on street corners and make a big theatrical performance for one another, not for God, of their prayer lives. This is why in verse 5, we read, when you pray, let's just pause there for a second. Jesus assumes three times in this passage, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray. Not if you pray, not on occasion when you pray, it's when you pray. He says, do not be like the hypocrites. Underline that word, hypocrites. He says, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. Let's talk for a moment about that word hypocrites. It was actually a word that was used in Greek theatre. What it meant was people who would get up on stage, known as hypocrites, who would put a mask on and pretend to be somebody else. Now I'm sure that that would never happen in a prayer meeting here at Numa Church. That would hope only happen in other places, that people would put a mask on and pretend to be somebody else. But that's exactly what was happening with prayer in the culture of the time. So the message Jesus is passing on here is that people who do good things for the wrong reasons don't impress him. And here, Jesus was speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees who paraded their prayers as these big theatrical performances when their hearts were not turned to him. They were doing that thing that nobody again here ever does. They're like, half eye, who's looking at me right now? Is anybody seeing how holy I look right now? That's exactly what was going on there. Now, Jesus wasn't against public prayer. He prayed in public. We should pray every time we gather together. Jesus himself said that his house, the church, should be a house of prayer. But if that is the only time that we all pray is here when we're together in church, we will not see God's power manifest as he intends it. You see, our public prayer life, our public prayer life is only ever intended to be an overflow of our private prayer lives. If you see people praying up here in our prayer power meetings, which was an incredible time with God today, or perhaps you come into our pre-service prayer meetings and you see people leading in prayer, or you go to life group and you see people praying, you're like, I want to be able to pray like that. Let me tell you, they didn't develop that deep well in prayer on any platform. They did it well away from the eyes of the public in the private place. That is why in verse 6, Jesus says again this phrase, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Turn to the person next to you and say, shut the door. Shut the front door. Shut the back door. Shut the side door. Definitely, kids, shut the fridge door. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
What will he reward us with? Well, I believe that one of the rewards is the power to live from a place of encounter. Do you know that prayer is meant to be a place of encounter? It could be really easy for us to slip into the mindset that prayer is a duty. We talk about prayer a lot. Hey, get yourself to prayer power. Make sure you're there in time for pre-service prayer. And we should do all of those things. But because we talk about that a lot, it could be easy for us to go, oh, another thing I've got to tick off the list, another thing I've got to tick off the list. But it's not meant to be like that. This is when it can become easy for our prayer to become religious obligation. And then it's easy for it to become more about the external like it was for the Pharisees and the scribes than actually our internal encountering our living God. I have learned that prayer is a place of encountering God and growing in vital union like John 15 describes and abiding in Him and then He abides in me and then I don't have to force any fruit. It's just produced. Prayer is the way we most feel His presence. We receive love from Him. We learn what He is like. In prayer, we position ourselves to receive fresh insights straight from His heart. The amazing thing is as He pours His heart out to us and we pour our hearts out to Him, our hearts become more like His heart. It's a way we receive love for God, from God and then we're energised to love others. If you need to love people more, you need to spend more time in prayer with God in the secret place, with the door shut, with the one who is love. And then you will naturally be energised to love God and to love people. Of course, it's biblical to pray to get answers and to see God's power move. But prayer is first and foremost a simply coming just to encounter Him. One man put it this way, to fail to pray is not breaking some religious rule. It's failing to treat God as God. And it's so much easier to enter a place of encounter through when, as Jesus says, we shut the door. We shut the door on distractions. We shut the door on every other voice and influence. You see, even Jesus, he understood this need to escape the noise of the world to pray. It's why Jesus was often sneaking away alone, early morning, late night, in a boat, on a mountain, in a garden. That actually sounded a bit like a rap. Morning, night, boat, mountain, garden. Yeah, okay, I'm not a rapper. It's just rewind, let's reset, there we go. Time alone with his father. Jesus was shutting the door to encounter God. Listen to this quote from John Ortberg. He says, For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. What is distracting you from having a consistent prayer life? For Jesus, it was the crowds, was ministry, was laying hands on people and seeing them healed, was training and raising up another level of leaders. It was all good things. And yet even he had to fight the distraction. What is distracting 
you. A.W. Tozer, who's getting some good airtime today, says this. There is so much against our prayer life. For one, the enemy of our soul despises the power of prayer. And with everything he can muster, he will discourage our prayer life. For anyone who's tried to get in their room alone and shut the door for more than 30 seconds, you will know that the greatest discouragement to our prayer life is distraction. You know what I'm talking about? You get in there and you're praying and the next minute you're doing your shopping list in your head. Maybe that's just me. What's the solution? It's shutting the door. One of the keys that fuels a life of power is spending time with the door shut on our knees, simply enjoying communion with God, not putting the pressure of any outcome on it, not putting the pressure of, I need to see this come out of this time, just enjoying being with him. In verse 7, Jesus tells his disciples not to heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Now here, Jesus was referring to a pagan tradition that was going on where they would just repeat the name of their God mindlessly over and over again. An example of that would be like Dagon, 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 Dagon. Just saying it over and over again. They were speaking, but they were not engaging their minds Many of them were praying and looking left or right instead of having their attention fixed on God. And Jesus is saying, don't pray mindlessly and just for show. You see, when we shut the door, we can focus on God and engage our minds in worship of Him. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 14, 14. I love this verse. It says, I pray with my spirit but I will pray with my mind also. Spirit and mind engaged in connection with God. You see, prayer is an act of worship. It's an act of love. And in Mark 12, Jesus speaking with another scribe says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And Jesus is speaking here of using our minds, our intellects to engage in worship of Jesus. Then Jesus says in verse 9 and 10, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can we just have a moment about the fact that we are invited to approach God in prayer as our Father. Prayer is essential to nearly every world religion. Muslims pray five times a day. Buddhists, they pray using this prayer wheel that sends good energy and good vibes and love out into the earth. Hindus, they pray to several different gods, hoping one day for this perfect union with the ultimate God. Do you know that a recent study showed that even atheists pray daily? 40% of atheists admit to praying daily. 
Every single one of us is born with the desire inside of us, whether we believe we have a God or not, to connect with a higher being and to pray. But we are the only religion that is invited to approach a personal God who loves us, who says, come to me and pray to me as your Father. You see, a right view of God, if this is the one thing you take away from tonight, this was the game changer for me. The right view of God is foundational to a powerful prayer life. In fact, if you are struggling with your prayer life right now, instead of reading another book about prayer or listening to another podcast on prayer, can I encourage you, start with how do I think about God and how do I think about how God thinks about me? What do I believe God thinks about me? And what do I think about God? I mean, if you think God's this big angry man in the sky who just wants to smack you all the time, no one wants to spend time with that guy. But that's not our God. One of the things that I meditate on when I've shut the door, especially if um, like I'm finding that I, you know when you do that thing, or it's probably just me, where like you avoid praying in the private place? You're like, oh, you know, I've got my time schedule, but maybe I'll just read the Bible a little bit longer and like all good things. But you know that for some reason you're creating this distance between you and God. Normally what has happened for me is that I've allowed a misconception of who God is to creep into my heart. And so I start this way. I meditate on Luke chapter 15. It's one of the most beautiful passages where God discloses his Father's heart for us. Jesus tells this story, it's a very well-known story called the story of the prodigal son. And in this story that Jesus tells, which most, most of you will know, I'm just going to give you the bullet point version, the son goes to the father and he says, I want you to give me my whole inheritance. The father gives it to him, he goes away, he spends it on really bad choices of things I won't mention, he just makes a whole heap of really bad choices, right? And then he ends up in this job, which is like the worst job possible for a Jewish boy because he's working with pigs. And then there's the version, the story or the perspective of the father who goes out every single day after his son has left home and he stands on the highest point of his land and he puts his hand up to his eyes and he looks out, is my son coming home today? Is he coming home today? Every day he waits. Finally, when the son has squandered all of his money and he is coming home so filled with shame and condemnation and the father's standing there looking and he sees his boy off in the distance. He doesn't stand there and go, oh, here he comes. That guy who got rid of all the money and has made some really bad choices. No, he runs to his son. He runs to him. He throws his arms around him and he embraces him. You know, one of the most powerful things about that story is in the context of the time, when that boy was coming home, the community would have been out throwing rocks at him because of what he had done. And so the symbolism of the father going and throwing his arms around him was him protecting him from the consequences of his own choice. When it comes to your prayer life, this is how the father waits for you. He stands every day and he says, is she going to come today? Is he going to come today? Is he going to come and shut the door and meet with me? Why is he so afraid? Why is she so afraid of the things she's done? I've already made a way to forgive those things. He just wants us to come. Perhaps start your prayer time like that. Shut the door and say, God's not mad at me. He wants me to come. 
If you can see him as father, the Greek meaning of that word, it, it, um, it paints a picture of a protector and a provider, someone who wants to embrace us. When we think of God as our protector, not our punisher, our provider, a good father who wants to give us good gifts, why wouldn't we spend time with him in the secret place? In my own prayer life, this has been such a journey for me. I have an amazing earthly father. I do. And yet I've still had a lot to unlearn about what a heavenly father is like. That's just the nature of living in a fallen world. And I've had to learn about the father heart of God as like a rudimentary foundational thing for me to be able to build a prayer life because I needed a prayer life and it had hit this ceiling. And it wasn't about whether or not I knew how to pray or quote scripture. It was about me figuring out the father heart of God and him revealing that to me. And I, before we move on, I felt strongly yesterday to pause and create a moment here actually around this issue. Normally we do like ministry time at the end, but I felt to stop right here while it's fresh. Maybe you're sitting here now and the penny's just dropped. Oh, this is why I'm not getting anywhere in my prayer life. I don't think I'm thinking about God correctly. Maybe you haven't had a great father. Maybe there's things you're unlearning right now. I'm actually going to ask, so just for a moment, everybody close their eyes for a moment of privacy. And I'm going to pray over us a very simple and ancient prayer that actually comes from the Belgic Confession. I often pray this out loud as part of my morning prayers. And I love praying ancient prayers like this because we're actually joining with generations who've prayed it before us. We don't know how many people have used these words to receive revelation of the Father, heart of God. And while everyone's got their eyes closed, if your heart's beating right and you're like, I think this is a game changer in prayer for me, maybe you just want to raise your hands on your lap. Just open yourself up to God as I pray this over, to, over you. Good God, why do we pray so timidly, offering hesitant requests when we are your loved children. We've been commanded, almost dead by Jesus, to trust your generosity in our prayers. Give us the expectation of a child that through Jesus Christ, we will receive all we ask from you. In Jesus' name, amen. And from this place of coming as a child, we're invited into the greatest partnership that's ever existed when we pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, he wants his kingdom to manifest here on earth. Guess who he chooses? He chooses the one who'll make the choice to get away from distraction, to shut the door, to focus their hearts and their minds on him, to come as a child comes to a father and then he entrusts them to carry his kingdom, authority and power just as Jesus did when he was on earth. You see, this power is found and it's actually transferred in the place of prayer. I was recently speaking with someone that many of you would know, his name's Pastor Daniel Bates and 
Um, I was talking to him about this healing anointing that he is operating in. And he'd gone from being a location pastor for a church and then stepped into itinerant ministry. And then there's all this buzz about all this healing is part of. And I said, Dan, what's changed? Like, what has changed for you? How did this happen? Like, did Reinhard Bonnke laid hands on you and pray for you? What happened? And he said, one word, prayer. I was like, what about prayer? He's like, I prayed for this for years. I prayed and when it didn't work, I prayed again. And then I prayed again. And then when I thought I couldn't pray anymore, I kept on praying. You see, you simply cannot develop the internal mainframe needed to carry the weight of his power and his glory on a public place alone. Jesus didn't. These internal structures are built behind closed doors. Now look, I'm all about getting the healing evangelist to lay hands on you. I've asked every prophet I've ever known to transfer their anointing to me. That's all good and they're powerful moments. But if you want to operate in the power gifts, start to pray in the secret place because it's prayer, not any other man or woman who fuels power. You see, God's will is perfectly experienced in heaven and Jesus prays that it would be perfectly expressed through us here on earth. And that's exactly what we should pray, that we would become so like the Father through our shut door, focused mind, transformational encounters with our Father, that we would carry his authority and his kingdom to a desperate world. One of my favourite things to do is track a day in the life of Jesus. I kind of figure it doesn't have to be complicated. If I'm called to be like Jesus, then I read what Jesus does and then I just do that. It doesn't really have to be that hard. Mark 1 is one of the simplest places that we can track a day in the life of Jesus. It describes how he woke up early in the morning and then he was walking and he recruited his first couple of disciples. He took them through the orientation program, which it, uh, consisted of follow me. And then they followed him and they went to the synagogue together. They walked there. Jesus taught in the synagogue. As he was trying to leave church, he delivered a man of a demonic spirit. Then he was like, you know, I'm going to go chill at Simon Peter's house for a while. We're going to have some lunch together. And then he gets there and the worst possible case scenario, Simon Peter. His mother-in-law is really sick. Nobody wants a sick mother-in-law. And so Jesus prays for her and heals her in Jesus' name. And then the community hears that Simon Peter's mother-in-law was made well. So they all come and they start crowding at Simon's Peter's, Simon Peter's door. So then Jesus in the afternoon, as night begins to fall, goes out. He starts praying for people. Then after he's prayed for them, the word says that to well into the dark of the night, he's still praying, healing on people who've gathered at Simon Peter's door. You see, this is his first day in the job as the Messiah. Early morning till late at night. I would forgive him for having a little lay-in the next day. I could forgive him for maybe getting the new recruits to make him pancakes and bacon. Oh no, hang on, he's a Jew. Pancakes! I could forgive him for that. You like that one, Anna? Yeah, I got that on the fly. <laughs> you could forgive him for like laying in and ordering up some pancakes, but where was Jesus? In Mark chapter 1, verse 25, we read, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. 
You see, for Jesus to carry the kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. And I mean, this is Jesus from the Trinity. He needed the power that came from the place of the shut door, away from the crowds, with his mind focused on his Father. How much more do we need it? You know, it's worth noting that this was just a few days after he'd spent 40 days in prayer and fasting. This guy was about prayer. How much more must we be about prayer if we want to carry his kingdom on earth? And then Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread. In the Gospel of John, Jesus, speaking of himself, describes himself as the true bread from heaven, the bread of God the bread of life and the bread which came down from heaven. Now, the Old Testament background for these references is obviously the manna that was supernaturally provided to the Israelites each morning as they wandered through the wilderness. You can read about that in Exodus. You see, symbolically, Jesus is the heavenly manna, the spiritual or supernatural bread given by the Father to those who will shut the door focus their minds on Him, approach Him as a Father, as a provider and daily receive the provision of spiritual bread. You see, Jesus also needed His daily bread to overcome the temptations He faced. In His time in the wilderness, in Matthew 4, Satan tempted Jesus by saying, If you are the Son of God, command these stones become bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I find it very interesting that Jesus is saying here that his spiritual sustenance is far more important than his physical sustenance in overcoming temptation. I know that when I think about that, I realise I've got a long way to go in my Christ-likeness because if I have to go without carbs... For like a couple of days, I'm not really great at overcoming my like temperament and my moods and my stuff like that. But Jesus knew how to prioritise his spiritual bread and that that was linked to our ability to overcome temptation, but also to walk in forgiveness of others. In Matthew 26, 41, Jesus says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, we need daily bread. Only daily supernatural empowerment will help us to overcome temptation and to walk in forgiveness in our lives if we don't come daily to receive the fresh bread. People get really annoying. <laughs> not any of you, just me. You know what I mean? We actually need time in God's presence daily for Him to fill us with daily bread. Nothing like the smell of fresh bread, amen. Fill us up with fruit of the Spirit so that when we face the real stuff in life, guess what comes out of us in the squeeze? It's the juice of the fruit of the Spirit. (laughs) Listen to this Tozer quote. I can't delegate my prayer. Nobody else can do my praying for me unless I'm unconscious. (laughs) Full stop, I like that. Here's the thing. Jesus has modelled a prayer life for us. This passage we've read together, he discusses our heart's posture, the position where we should be, how we should pray, what we should pray. And yet, many of us are still not praying. 
Why? You know that story I told at the start about a great man of God that every single one of you assumed was Dr. Mike Gretschko was actually a story about Timothy Keller, a man who's world-renowned for his books, for his theology. He would be known as one of, one of the world's greatest the- modern-day theologians. But it took for him to get to the point of complete crisis when he had no other option but to pray for him to develop a prayer life. It's an all too common story. And I love that it actually gives us the everyday believer permission to go, you know what? I need to grow in my prayer life, but I'm struggling with this. And I think if we're all honest, part of the reason we struggle with a prayer life is because we're self-sufficient. The world and its culture has become the salt of the church, teaching us that we can be self-made. But the church is meant to be the salt of the world. We're meant to model and carry the authority and the power that Jesus delegated to us. If we just walked in forgiveness in our relationships, that would make the world look. If we just modelled how to be forgiving, that alone would make them ask questions. Let alone having a lifestyle where they see us prevail over temptation, where they come sick and we pray for them and they get healed right there in the office. This is the power available to us through a prayer life. I don't know about you, but I believe what Dr. Yongi Cho said. I am convinced that renewal is possible anywhere people dedicate themselves to prayer. It's historically true that prayer has been the key to every revival in the history of Christianity. I've got a newsflash for you and I don't mean to break your heart, but you and I together can't make revival happen. We need the power of the Holy Spirit and it's fueled by prayer. And the corporate gatherings, you know I'm the biggest advocate of our prayer corporate gatherings. Nothing would make me happier than seeing our prayer power meeting filled to overflowing and seeing pre-service, the thing that everybody gets here uh, for so early rather than getting here so that they can grab a coffee and then run on in at the last minute. Nothing would make me happier than that. But those things alone won't bring revival. It's going to come when every single one of us makes time with the shut door to encounter God and receive the power from the Holy Spirit and then when we come together and all of our rivers of power come together imagine what's possible in this place we will see true revival when every single person hungers for God enough to shut the door to focus on God to come as a child comes to their father receive our daily bread receive and walk in forgiveness and to have the power to overcome temptation and every plan of the enemy and living that kind of life will cause these kind of questions. What's different about you? And then we have before us a conversation that means we have an opportunity to make a disciple of Jesus. You see, prayer fuels power. It's the empowerment that is necessary to go and make disciples of all nations. I'm going to close with this story from a brilliant book by Dr. David Yongi Cho called Prayer That Brings Revival. If the bear wants to come and join me. He says, there is no reason miracles shouldn't be taking place regularly in your church. 
There is no reason sinners should not be drawn to the Holy Spirit in your church. It has been reported to me that one day as revivalist Charles Finney's train passed through New York, the Holy Spirit fell on the sinners surrounding the track in the community. Men in cocktail bars fell on their knees under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and spontaneously asked Jesus Christ to save them. No one did an altar call. If the Holy Spirit gave Charles Finney such power, should not he give us the same kind of powerful ministry? Finney rarely shared the key to his power. However, a reporter decided to spy on him. The newspaper man finally realised and shared that the source of Finney's power was the hours and hours and hours he spent alone in prayer. If we want to see God's power released in and through us, in our church and in our communities, we have to learn to shut the door and to pray. So, Father, I thank you that your presence is here. I thank you that your spirit is here. You are hovering. And you love it when we talk about prayer because you are the Father who stands looking. Are they going to come today? I thank you that even as we pray together now, you receive us with open arms. You have done everything that is necessary to make us clean before you so that there is no distance between us. Father, I pray that as these words have been shared, that people will have heard the quiet, gentle voice of the Holy Spirit, that they will have received insight into how to grow their prayer life. Father, we come to you in prayer. Yes, we have needs. Yes, we wanna see breakthrough. But before any of that, we come because we love you. And because we want to be with you. I pray that you would saturate each and every person in this room right now with a sense of your overwhelming love for them. The fact that they don't have to hide their face from you in shame. But you love the sound of their voice when they pray to you. You love hearing what's on their heart. Even though you already know a word, every word before it's on our tongue, you love it when we come and we share our hearts with you. God, let this be a church that will pour out their hearts to you. I pray that in the powerful name of Jesus, that any spirit of fear and intimidation around prayer would be broken now in the name of Jesus. I pray that there would be such a tangible sense of the height and the breadth and the depth of your love for every single one of your children in this room that they would no longer be able to fight praying every single day. And so God, even now, I pray that people would make decisions in their hearts from this day forward. Every day I'm coming for my bread. I'm going to shut the door. I'm going to lay aside distraction. I'm going to ask for a revelation of the Father heart of God and I'm going to pour my heart out to my Father. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. 
The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.